Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is a show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. We just took a little couple minutes between the intro music and now to watch the Last Jedi trailer. Tell me your immediate thoughts. Breathe, breathe in the air. I like it when you get to mix Pink Floyd and Star Wars. Do you think that's what they're? You think that's what they're trying to evoke there? I assume that there is someone who likes Pink Floyd, but no, I assume that they're trying to harken back to Yoda. As I was mentioning to you before. It was hard to pick up that it actually was Mark Hamill there speaking. I was wondering if they were trying to mix in some a little bit of uh, Sir Alec. Yeah, I think they kind of were. But, you know, he's had this second career as a voice actor for a long mm-hmm. time. So it kind of doesn't sound like him anymore. So you think that's a little bit by design? No, I think it's just that Mark Hamill was never really a great actor so <laughs> <laughs> at least the face part so then to me i felt like the trailer kind of took a big sharp turn when you get to any of the space battles yeah i'm pumped and we have we have no context for what's going to happen there no absolutely not but i hope that there's going to be a lot of space battles because that's what i liked about episode seven and that is why unpopular opinion alert I liked Rogue One better than Episode Seven, was because there was a lot of quote Star Wars. <laughs> well, I think I think you're in good shape then because that those were clear blockade ships. Like we're they're seeing yeah. some sort of big blockade. So I imagine that's why you liked uh, Rogue One because you know anytime you got to protect the whole surface of a planet, I think you're in on that. Like I am, I love loved growing up watching the history channel when it was always a battleship like sea battles like, that was always really really cool to like think about so like the battle of endor the battle of whatever the you know the big data room we're never gonna remember that called. but yeah uh i mean those were those are pretty darn cool i have no idea what kind of ship those were though those looked like b-wings but like massive like massive blockading b-wings i think those are i think those are some standard issue first order oh you think those were first order i think that they were i think that they were the um alliance or whatever calling them no i disagree agree to disagree okay but the real question they have is what was that like um the temple of doom like light thing that they were showing and then excellent linking of other lucasfilm movies well done (laughs) uh i don't know whose hand is that we got to figure that part out that's probably Ray's. i don't think so it looked too manly so i don't know i think you know we we probably get another 
two theatrical trailers before the movie. Um, maybe we'll start to figure out a little bit of what's going on with the space battle. You know, we gotta we gotta figure out what what could possibly be going on there. A little bit of the ships going on on land. What's going on there? You know, you it's not pod racing. I want it to be pod racing. I understand, but it's not. Is, are, do you think that we're going to have the same thing as we had with Rogue One, where they changed the movie like three to four times between the first <laughs> theatrical uh, trailer and the showing of the movie? You know, there there is a definitely an element of worrying about that for multiple reasons. One, because they only showed Leia from behind. <laughs> Two, they, uh, they left it so plot vague. The only thing that has to happen is Ray has to spend time on the island with Luke. Like, that's all that has to happen for this trailer to be accurate. Oh, true. Yeah, they really have not made any any promises. All right, this week on the pod, Eric's going to revisit one of our favorite strategies from last year, the Bastardo strategy, talking about how to utilize relievers. And then I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on what to do with forecasting RBIs. Take it away, Eric. Last season on episode 0.12, I introduced the concept of the Bastardo strategy, the employment of middle relievers in an effort to reduce ERA and WHIP while taking advantage of a resource that is underutilized. The strategy is named after one of our favorite players, Antonio Bastardo, a career middle reliever who flirted with fantasy relevance in 2011 as a replacement closer for the Phillies. So why middle relievers? Um, why this strategy in general? Um, baseball is changing. In the last few seasons, have seen a proliferation of the bullpen bench. Players like Andrew Miller and Dylan Batances are also bringing back the fireman role in the bullpen and making the middle innings sexy again. If they, I guess, if they ever were sexy before. Uh, middle relievers often have high strikeout rates and low ERAs and whips. They come into the game for favorable matchups and get pulled when there is a hint of trouble. They're a new look. You know, they have everything going for them, really, uh, when they come into the game. So they should succeed. Middle relievers are overlooked in fantasy. They don't get the starts and they don't close so they are often passed over by owners however they can still augment a team all right mike so what are your two cents here and so far yeah i have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings about middle relievers in general in that last year i went into the season thinking you know what i better do this i lost my closers pretty much right away um, decided to punt saves, decided to try and squeeze what I could out of the middle reliever innings. And as we've talked about before, actually put together one of my best pitching squads of all time based on this principle, headlined, of course, by Andrew Miller and Dylan Batances. Uh, this year, as, <laughs> as you were laughing about earlier, my team is getting dangerously close to turning into a Bastardo team again. Uh, we yep. got to try and stay away from that. Not a not a first choice option here, but still viable. You can definitely split in a traditional five by five, at least two, three, if you're employing the Bastardo strategy. Yeah. And you can even sometimes do better than that. And sometimes in some ways where the strategy worked the best for you last year was when all of a sudden you went 
having two amazing middle relievers to having two closers. <laughs> yeah. It's an exceptionally, it's an excellent speculative move, especially if you're in a rebuild mode and can sell closers after they get named. Yeah. Yeah, once they get named, you can sell them at a premium. And that's one of the um, positive externalities of this approach is that you're investing in good middle relievers who are there if the closer of the team goes down by injury or um, has a case of the Ken Giles. <laughs> yeah, or the case of the Sam Dyson. Or I mean, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on right now. Name a Michael Peterson uh, closer of the last five years, and yeah, you just... might be naming one of these players. Let's <laughs> just say that I have some feelings about this. I still think that this is a viable strategy, though. But you outlined a couple of variations, and I would say that I leaned a little closer to a couple of the variations. So what what are some of your favorite ideas of how to use this? Well, yeah, last year I outlined a few different variations and gave them silly names. So there's the burp method. Bastardo under relief pitcher. So using middle relievers in in lieu of closers, you know, just stocking your roster um, spots instead of having closers using middle relievers who are going to keep your ERA and whip down, have high strikeout totals, but aren't, you know, aren't really going to move the needles that much in general. Then there's also the Bass method, Bastardo as starter scheme. So that's when you're using an SP eligible middle reliever in a starting pitching slot. You know, someone who was a starter last year. So a Rysel Iglesias, not the best um, example, but, you know, he was someone who was a starting pitcher last year and is now in uh, pitching in relief this year. So he's uh, starting pitching eligible. And filling your starting spots with these middle relievers does definitely change the flavor of the um of your team and then there's the ben method bestardo engaged nefariously probably one of my favorites using a starting pitching eligible closer in a starting pitching spot i just want to point out that the namesake of this is once again employing this strategy yep he, yep he figured it out you were you were poo-pooing it in the draft that it was a crazy reach rice Iglesias, uh but if you have a closer who is a starting pitching eligible, it just you know really opens up the opportunities for for you and your team. It happens really rarely, but Alex Colmay last year, um, great example, and Brett Myers, Brett Myers, Brett. But you know it's rarely, but there's one a year. It does seem like there's one a year, whether yes. they're as good as Alex Colomay was last year. But if you identify that um, and, you know, you believe in the idea of market inefficiencies, then that could be your strategy. Yeah. So I would suggest one of the things on the, the Burt method, it seems it's like the one that kind of passed over, but I think oftentimes you lose a couple of close, you lose a closer and you get super concerned and you just try to pick up any guy who might be, who's, supposed to be the next in line somewhere and you kind of kill yourself because that person then loses the job oftentimes i mean like i was invested in arizona's uh dumpster fire of a (laughs) (laughs) of a a closer carousel last year well and and tampa bays you spent money on that too and tampa bays yeah i think that for me 
the Bastardo method is a um, is something that happens because I personally go in with a really hard cap on how much I'll spend to speculate on a closer. So mm, yep. closers in our league with free agent dollars are extremely expensive. Like Brad Brock was picked up for $11, which is more than 10% of all of our yearly income. And yeah. I just am unwilling to speculate that much on what could only be three to four saves. All right. So I want to kind of wrap this up with sort of some ad hoc thoughts and finish with a, a naming a couple of players that, that we have our eyes on for the season. It's a little too early to proclaim a king of the bastardos, but I think that there are a few, <laughs> a few leaders out there. I noticed, though, in this little data mining exercise, Robert Stevenson. I assume his middle name is Lewis. Yeah, I think so. It's nothing like having a couple nineteen a 19th century author on your team. You know, I, I talk a lot about the old-timey baseball team, and he might be a charter member of it. Yeah, I would say so. Treasure Island. All right, and um, so in this... In, in this kind of methodology that I've been using with um, the Bastardo strategy to try to highlight awesome Bastardos, I always think of it as like an expert system rather than, you know, rather than straight modeling. Do you use expert systems much in, in Astro? I personally don't, um, but... I think that you're I think you're right that it's more of an expert system than a modeling type idea. Right, and that all falls under the same uh category of algorithms. I feel like I I develop a lot of expert systems. You, you do in in geography a lot of times you're trying to locate <laughs> things that follow under specific um categories rather than doing straight modeling. Yeah. But yeah, agreed. expert systems don't don't overlook them. <laughs> so, a couple of players, who who have you had in mind lately as a bastardo that you're that you're kind of interested in? Cuz there's one name that I think pops up pops up for me. One that I'm actually kind of interested in? Yeah, like if he was available. I don't think he is available. Oh, if he league. was available, you're saying in our league. Uh, you know, I boy, if he was available, um, do you, what do you think about Joe Kelly on the Red Sox? Mm, I think that's the right role for him. Yeah. He, and he's getting wins as you were pointing out to me earlier offline. Yeah. Were you talking about, are you talking about Lorenzen? No. Yeah. My, yeah. One of my man, man crushes, uh, Lorenzen. Oh, I didn't, I didn't actually even know that he was one of your man crushes. I just think that he's a good pitcher. No, we talked about, remember we talked about this late in the, the year last year. He was on my playoff squad. <laughs> And then he was on, like, bereavement. Anyways, <laughs> no, I'm talking about Chris Davinsky. Oh. Well, he already has 17 Ks in we know that you're, of work. You, we know that you're a big fan of the Astros, so you don't stray too far from your guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> so do you think he's going to keep it up? Do you think he's going to be a reasonable bastardo for the year you know i was i was skimming this before actually i mean he's he's a little lucky right so his his left on base percentage is 100 right now but his homers for fly balls is is already stabilizing even in nine innings i mean barring nothing crazy happening he's 
pretty much exactly where you'd expect him to be. His BABIP's a little low, but, I mean, he looks good. <laughs> yeah, he does look good. What about Archie Bradley? He was don't a, even. He was an don't old even. favorite of yours. In more than an old favorite. He's He's been a favorite forever. I had him all the way up until his DL stint last year. How depressing is At that? At which time it was time to yeah time to cut the cord. Yeah, I think oh. that this might be good for him. He just wasn't cut out for being a a starting pitcher. He couldn't put those innings enough innings under him. Yeah, I think I mean he's a former former top prospect. Looked good. Has always had good stuff, but not able to put it together for for six innings, seven innings at a time. So those are some of the starters who are. You know who who would be good for the um, for the bass me- method? Any ones that you're highlighting now? Because you actually have a an open, a few open relief spots these days. Is there anyone that you're targeting, like Justin Wilson? Mm, I don't think I'm going to switch over yet. I think I'm going to continue to pay um, to underbid on speculative saves for right now. Mm, okay. I think at this point in the season, it's better for me to do that than to try and switch to a Bastardo scheme. Okay. Adam Warren. Adam Warren. I like Adam Warren too. I like Adam Warren too. He's another pitcher. He's like the uh, <laughs> uh, my buddy Sean Kelly, who it's like you are never gonna close. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you refer to Sean Kelly as your buddy, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I My mean, Sean Kelly's buddy. a good. Sean Kelly's is a good to me, a good speculative closer because he's gonna get four saves this year, four five saves, just by accident. Uh, I think he, I think he. Oh, by accident, yeah, he'll get, he'll probably get four saves by accident. Four, and four saves, four is... wins. He's like four two with four and two with four saves. Yeah, but. <laughs> I would say that there's these days with the 10 day DL, Ugh. there's a chance that he's the closer for like two weeks. Yeah. We, I mean, we we have to confront this 10 day DL thing because the usage is just insane right now. Too many people flying over to the DL and back. Yeah. And we have a request to look at WBC and the DL, which we should do probably. I want to have a month worth of data before we approach that. Agreed. That sounds stable. Okay, everyone. So we're going to keep on talking about Bestardos, but thought we'd make sure that everyone's on the same page about what what a Bestardo is. It's not just a a silly name. (laughs) It's not just a guy who's still pitching in the league. Still pitching in the league. Antonio. Hope everyone's off to a good start in their league. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like when we were watching the trailer. Okay. Are you ready? You ready? Oh, yeah. Okay. One, a two, a one, two, three. There's an ad. I'm going to shoot someone. No! You have an ad? Yeah. Ah, come on, man. All right. Well, tell me when you're ready to go, I guess. All right. Breathe. Breathe in the air. Mark Hamill sounds so weird. He's so hard to pick up. He does. Whoa! Has he just lived in like a sad little cave this whole time? RBIs have historically been a tough nut for me to crack. Is that a fair statement? 
Yeah, I would say so. Thanks, so. A little honesty. Uh, I've always had some sort of little aversion to the power mashers who get the bulk of RBIs, at least picking them in fantasy. And it is shown on my teams of yore. So I figured, you know, we're going to push this to the end. This is the eighth pod. But why not throw caution to the wind here and see what we can learn? See what we can learn a little bit about RBIs. Maybe I'll get something here. So... I have a couple early season thoughts on RBIs so far from this young season, and then I'll open the floor to you up here. Um, to me, there's a lot of BABIP-driven stuff in the top RBI guys. Um, I am not looking at the top RBI producers, including, sadly, players like Miguel Sano to keep it up. I'm looking, actually, at some of the low BABIP guys who are already springing to the top a little bit. George Springer, Giannis Cespedes, Solarte, do love those Padres and Carlos Santana. Uh, what are you looking at for early season RBIs here? Springer. I I think I was uh, beating his drum pretty heavily. I don't know what to expect. I felt like this year has been a little bit more erratic than usual with the RBIs. So hmm. I'm, I'm kind of still just sitting on the fences. Sitting on the fences. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean... Personally, our, neither of our teams has produced anything that is even remotely respectable in terms of RBIs in the past two weeks. No. But I don't know. We're, we're not exactly particularly designed for it. But that is to say, neither of us has had Marcel Ozuna, who is 18 RBIs recorded in 12 games already. And that I just want to... pretty insane. That is really insane. And I'm just going to say this and let you hold on to it for a little bit. He's doing it from the sixth sixth spot in the batting order wow wow really predominantly so we're going to talk about that in a little bit but anything else early rbis here no i i mean i think that the big thing is that i've been disappointed i invested heavily on old guys who i thought Hmm. were going to be undervalued and still producing and they're just looking old so you were looking at Pujols to get another 100-plus RBI season? Yeah, I think he still will, but, you know. Oof, I, I don't know. That's tough. So let's go back to 2016 here, though, and get a sense of sort of what RBIs look like globally like globally in the league. Um, my recommendation here, if you can get one, if you really want to win RBIs, you should draft the guys, as many of the guys who are over 100 RBIs as you can. So if you look at the characteristic curve, where you plot the number of RBIs versus the player ranking, there's mm-hmm. a really normal distribution that makes a lot of sense. It it sort of slowly falls off to the top 300 in the top 300. But when you get all the way down to the top 20 guys, there's this huge uptick in RBIs that suggests oh, yeah. that the top 20 guys are even more valuable than you would expect. So after some investigation into 2016 RBIs, I've got a little RBI thesis for you. All right, lay it on me. For individual players, it is almost always more efficient to move down one or two spots in the lineup to get RBIs. All right. So I'm going to hold up as my poster child, Mark Trumbo, 108 RBIs in 2016. 80 of those came from the fifth spot in the lineup where he recorded an RBI every fifth plate appearance. Wow. And 26 of those of those remaining ones came from the cleanup spot, but he was only good for an RBI every 10 plate appearances there. 
So this is saying that Mark Trumbo is much better in the fifth spot than the fourth spot. And this was globally true for the top RBI guys. If you compare just the, the guys who batted fourth and fifth during the year, guys were consistently better in the fifth spot than the fourth spot. It seems odd. It seems a little bit odd. But when you start to think about it, it doesn't um, doesn't set the warning bells off. If you know what I mean. I'm wondering if there's some team construction effects here. And at the end of this, we're going to kind of wrap on a little discussion about individual teams. But this is even true, not just fourth to fifth position, fourth to fifth in the batting order. But if you go from third to fourth, guys were appreciably better. So somebody like... Nolan Arenado is much better in the fourth spot than he is in the third spot, or much more efficient at getting RBIs. Same was true for somebody like David Ortiz and Albert Pujols last year as well. They did better when you moved them down to the fourth spot. And I'm wondering, though, in part, if that's a function of who you can slot in ahead of them. If you have the options to slot in right. guys ahead of them, then it then this makes a lot of sense. But it's not what you would initially think because if you look at the RBI production versus lineup spot in the league in general, in all in, in mm -hmm. the total MLB, the most efficient position in terms of RBIs per plate appearance is cleanup. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so the disaggregate is different than the individual players. Yeah, a little Yule Simpson down there. <laughs> yeah, well said. And if you look at the... but. Of course, it's not RBIs per plate appearances that matters for us. It's the total number of RBIs. Yes. And so once you normalize for plate appearances, third and fourth actually get the same, roughly the same number of RBIs in total. Oh, okay. Yeah, because if you're normalizing that out, then you're going to, yeah, third gets more plate appearances than fourth and second more than third. Etc. But I think you're you're really onto something by talking about this, thinking about this in a disaggregate sense. Um, if you're looking at individual players and trying to forecast their number of RBIs, they're better if they move down. Somebody like Mark Trumbo or Adam Duvall is another was another big example from last year. Or a guy that moved down. So I'm wondering, does this change your day-to-day -day outlook at all? Are you gonna think about where guys are in the lineup? You may have noticed, of course that CBS's big upgrade this year is that they tell you where guys are batting in the lineup yeah on this on the page to set your team yeah you're told you're told that like after lineups have blocked <laughs> yeah except basically. for the first game basically i mean they're they're doing their best but but i'm wondering also if this is really just something that we're saving up for an eventual dfs excursion i would say that's more that's that's more accurate it's more for the dfs because it really I don't think the day-to-day -day for us, it really matters, but it is some nuance that we need to consider when we're picking players up, when we're mm -hmm. overreacting to players dropping the batting order like Justin Upton. But would you think of somebody differently if, like, okay, let's take an example. Mookie Betts here. The Red Sox use him between the leadoff spot and the cleanup spot. He's much, much more efficient in the cleanup spot at getting RBIs. If you suddenly saw that the Red Sox were batting him consistently fourth versus consistently first, doesn't that change your team construction a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, if you're expecting him to be a run producer from the number one or number two spot, and he's all of a sudden moving down to 
an RBI heavy spot. That's really frustrating. I think that I've gone on this rant before that Brandon Phillips was a player yes. that would always happen to. You'd always, at a spring, you'd think he'd be the number two hitter, which is perfect for his kind of style of play. And then all of a sudden he was batting cleanup and you're like, what? No. Why is he batting behind Joey Votto? I, I, he was supposed to be my run producer. Yeah. Similar feeling, I guess, for, for Mookie Betts, just, I guess, on a slightly different level. But yeah, so I think that's something that you got to watch out for if you're looking at your team construction. And maybe if you're trying to figure out why you're missing your projections, you can tease this out a little bit. But I was yeah, surprised. Um, the takeaway message for me is that if you find a guy who's batting fourth and then they suddenly announce that he's going to be batting fifth, you can actually expect a little uptick in RBIs. Nice to know. Yeah. Perhaps it's time to wrap this sucker up. You see this cat at the Marlins game? Yeah, I loved <laughs> watching that video. And the best part, though, was the color commentary. I think that uh, we got to get those announcers a, a cat announcing show. Yeah, yeah, they were pretty good. Man, I you feel like there's more wildlife at at baseball games than you would expect, you know, especially as compared to like football where there's never any wildlife on the field. <laughs> that is very w- true. Wildlife. That's that's probably the wrong term for a cat, but you know what I mean. I appreciated though <laughs> the still picture of Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton just standing looking at a cat trying to bury itself under an outfield <laughs> wall. <laughs> yeah it's just like not a photo that you get very often but anyway proud of that cat for getting up onto that sculpture yeah most definitely it's a heck of a climb all right i think that brings us to the review session we start with a little french so why not a little more french canadian poutine do you like poutining it into your mouth (laughs) i think this is a fitting time you know, we haven't we we rarely give shout outs to the NHL, but the playoffs are happening right now. Oh true. And true, Canada true, is true. trying to bring that Stanley Cup home as hard as they can. Uh the the Ottawa Senators are currently taking it to the Boston Bruins, but uh, people Ooh. in Massachusetts are gonna people in Massachusetts are gonna be a little bit upset. But I assume that there's a you know, quite a fair amount of poutine being consumed at some of these playoff games. As it should be. So, oh. I, as it should be, I like poutine. I like Canadian poutine. The okay. thing, that, but I have a huge problem with poutine lately, where it's like super fancy. It's like mm. brisket gravy and coleslaw poutine. It's like no, no, wrong. No, let's get some really crappy fries that are like thick cut. Let's get some gravy. Let's get some cheese curds and. We're all set. See, I wanted I wanted to let you take the first opinion on this one. I agree. If there was such a way that it could only ever be gas station poutine, I think I would be happy. You'd be fine with gas station poutine. If you could bring like the gas station mentality to poutine, like you're talking about, there's no pretension here. You're just out to eat some fries, gravy, and cheese simultaneously. Do you think the Blue Canoe or Holiday would do a better poutine? <laughs> I got to say, I I bet Holiday's poutine is, is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
so you so you're sort of in agreement with me though that it's kind of silly that they're doing because I feel like you see it as kind of like a vogue um dish that people are doing it's like this is like one of the easiest dishes that ever <laughs> ever eaten I was I was late to the poutine game in general because I had a slight aversion for a while to doing anything to mess with the sanctity of cheese curds apart from dropping them in a deep fryer but <laughs> oh yeah that doesn't <laughs> ruin the sanctity at all so i was a little hesitant to you know mix them with gravy and fries which i considered to be their own you know joyous experience but lately uh, i've really come around to to the mixture but got to keep it simple i'm i'm a big keep it simple in the poutine kind of guy okay good that's that's good. I was worried because you sometimes you like the you like some of the trendier. Oh no, I I do I do. I've been called derisively no less a foodie before. Oh boy, foodie and yeah, so, foodie poutine. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I I know exactly what you're talking about, and I I don't approve if it's not served. See, the thing for me, the gas station evokes the fact that it has to come in a paper container like if you put it in ceramic <laughs> yeah. you've done it wrong like it's gotta come in paper yeah it's sort of it, it like that's the best stuff is not even like wax paper when it's like yeah. in an old newspaper yeah. yeah like this is super gross but i'm gonna eat the shit out of this mm-hmm. all right well time for a little housekeeping be sure to subscribe to us on itunes and follow us on twitter Fantasy Tools, Mind the Z. That way you don't have to wait for our emails to listen to the show. Thank you, Mild Manor, for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, Mind the Z. All I've got left is worst luck to you, buddy. Worst luck to you, too.